0: And, uh, you know, it's hard because I'm trying to, I go there and I, I pour out my heart to these kids and I tell them, hey, you're loved, you're special, you're intelligent. There's, you know, there's so much opportunity out there. You can go to college. A lot of these kids, they don't feel like they can go to college because, or they could ever get into college because they don't hear that message.
1: Hi, I'm Nick Ninton and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. everyone nick Nansen here very excited to have this next guest on now to next with nick Nansen. been doing a lot of work with him but I, we've actually never met uh in real and real person never been able to uh, pound it out, rub elbows, any of that stuff. So I'm looking forward to that uh, post-pandemic. But let me give you a little bit of a bio of this incredible guy. Uh, Remy Adeleke was born in Western Africa, but following his father's untimely death, he and his mother and brother relocated permanently to the Bronx in New York City. After spending his youth on the streets of New York, Remy joined the Navy in 2002. He would later become a Navy SEAL, earning Seal of the Year Award from the Naval Special Warfare Foundation. I don't know what it would take to win the seal of the year, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, After ending his successful naval career in 2016, he has since become a best-selling author, sought-after public speaker, and a successful actor and military consultant for film and television. He is the current CEO of Remy Consulting and Eighth Wonder Entertainment. Remy holds a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and a master's in strategic leadership, both from the University of Charleston. He lives in Southern California with his wife, Jessica, and their three sons, Caden, Caleb, and Carter, his best-selling memoir, which we'll be talking about today, Transformed, and Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of the Bronx to Defying All Odds was released in May of 2019, and it is a book you must check out. We're going to talk about the -the behind-the-scenes stories from the book, as well as I think a lot of you will be really interested in, there's, Remy has an amazing story, but there are a lot of amazing stories out there in the world, but most people don't know how to tell them, how to get them in a book, how to get the world to read them. There's like lots of secrets between this. So between some of the memoir stuff, I'm going to go into that with Remy, and we'll learn some insights there too. But Remy, most importantly, thank you so much for joining me, man. It's great to see you. Hey,
0: no, thanks for having me. appreciate it, Nick. It's always good hanging with you, brother.
1: <laughs> uh, man, I appreciate it. And so, hey, look, so you were born in Western Africa. Your father was a big deal there. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you remember from those times and a bit about him.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I remember just growing up in, in, in wealth and, uh, you know, not wanting for anything. We had everything that we wanted. You know, we traveled the world. We had cars, nannies, drivers. Um, my dad was very influential. Every time people came to the house, it was almost like they were coming to the house of a king, not necessarily, not just because of his status, but because of his intelligence. Um, he ran multiple businesses. He was super diverse. He was also into politics. He was actually one of the first black men on the board of the World Trade Center in the United States and uh, the first black man on the uh, British Financial Planning Council in Great Britain. So, you know, a lot of people, when they approach, when they came to our house and we had gatherings and get togethers or maybe when we were out in public, you know, I, one thing I always remember is how they would kind of look upon him with awe and, and give him the utmost respect.
1: Yeah, in the book you talk about some different circumstances where your mom uh, from New York, much uh, harder disciplinarian, yeah. and you try to sneak out of your bedroom down the hallway to yeah. get through the party to get to dad <laughs> because he let you have a few minutes. Yeah. What were those? What were those minutes like? Like dad is obviously an important dude, but he, mm. he clearly cared a lot about you. Recount yeah. a little bit of that for me. What, what was going on in your brain?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just always I wanted to hang out with my dad. You know, I think I'm like my kids now. My kids like every time I'm doing, even now, like. You know, they said, what are you doing, Dad? Can we come to your office? I'm like, no, I got don't gotta work right now. But you know, I, you know, just like my kids, I just wanted to be around my dad. You know, I just wanted to be in his presence and and I, you know, and, and also, you know, kind of like you know, as kids, you you look at your father like like he's superman, right? So just to be able to stand next to him and say, and look up as people are kind of talking to him and say, that's my dad, that's my dad. Like, I desire that, you know? And so that's the, the the biggest thing I remember about that moment is just being able to, you know, stand next to him and say, that's my dad and him say, this is my son, you know, and kind of affirm me.
1: That's great. I, you know, it's so the conversations I have with many people, there's this, uh, Like I know my parents, uh, I held them in high regard, and as I should. I I, my kids thankfully do pretty well, but you know I have another friend whose goal. Is for his kids to see him as Superman yeah. and I, I think that that's a I think that's interesting because it's a dangerous goal I feel like because yeah. like I feel like I want my kids to know that like I'm trying my best but I'm gonna mess up yeah like and I'm a flawed human being Absolutely. so I think it's interesting like I, I, I we all see our dads that way as a guy who is sort of like Superman I mean you're Michael Bay uh-huh. movies you're a <laughs> Navy SEAL like tell me a bit about your parenting philosophy
0: Yeah. Well, my parenting philosophy is lead by example. That's my that's my biggest philosophy is, you know, you know, I and I tell my kids all the time, I will never make you do something that I have not done or that I'm not willing to do. And I'll never hold you to a standard that is not um, that I haven't upheld myself and so you know that's that's the biggest part of my parenting is is you know if I want my kids to be respectful to women you know it's my job to be respectful to, to their mom if I you know if if, if my if it's, you know if I want my kids to to be honest and keep their word then I have to do it for them as a matter of fact I get in trouble with my wife often because <laughs> uh because my my kids would you know they would be uh, watching tv and a trailer for a movie would come on and uh like spider-man nothing crazy you know spider-man on one of the comic book movies and they would say dad dad can we see that spider-man movie or can we see that you know avengers movie or whatever and as a dad i'm like yeah dude like come on yeah for sure we'll go see it on the weekend and uh and as soon as uh, my wife comes home from work They'll run up to her and they say, "Dad's taking us to go see Avengers or Spider-Man or whatever." And my wife is just like she's not a she's not a big fan of like comic book movies because of the violence. Like, and to me, it's not. I don't know. I'm a different person. So to me, that's not like violence. It's 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 fantasy. It's fictionalized. But she doesn't like it, and so uh, she'll go look up the trailer and then she'll say, uh, uh, "No, you guys can't see it. You guys can't see." She'll tell them they can't see it, but. I had to keep, I have to keep my word because I told them I would let them go see. it. So I kind of, I, I kind of I, I gotten in trouble in the past for, uh, you know, taking my kids to go see an Avengers movie or a Spider-Man movie and, and, uh, and my wife finds out later, but you know, the lesson I try to teach them in that is, Hey dude, um, and I, uh, you, you gotta keep your word. You know, most, the only thing you have in life is your word. Once you lose your word, you, you, you know, it's hard to get it back. So.
1: And that's coming from a guy who who's had trouble in his past and knows that. We'll go yeah, yeah. into that in a second. I think another thing that I found super interesting in, in the parenting side while we're on the thread yeah. is that my story doesn't need to be my kid's story. Uh, like I didn't get, you know, I, I don't know. There's certain things I, I had to work super hard as a, as a teenager. I had to work really hard because my parents had plenty of, mo- uh, plenty of love but not enough money. Yeah. But Like I, just because I had to work a job, let's say – to, I don't know, after school and all sorts of stuff, like, if, I, that doesn't mean they have to. Like, that's an interesting one, because yeah. some of the hardest lessons I learned were lessons I do, I hope my kids can learn the lessons without yeah. the hardship, but- yeah but they need some of that yeah. it's a really interesting balance between like i, I, I it's a it's a con, it's a continuum i see yeah, so yeah. many people thinking that their story like well that's the way i did it that's why yeah. my kids are gonna do it yeah, and yeah, i yeah. think that's a super big challenge too any any thoughts on that
0: yeah yeah you know one thing that i do is, because there's absolutely no way i can recreate the environment that i grew up in i mean like the, the kids live in a, i grew up in the and. Small apartment. kids live in the suburbs in a million-dollar house. Like I grew up with one parent. I think my kids have two. So there's absolutely no way. Like I grew up with crackheads down the street. I mean, the biggest threat you have in the neighborhood I grew up now is these teenagers who get their Mercedes Benz at sixteen and they're speeding down the street, right? So there's absolutely no way I could recreate the life that I lived at a young, as a young kid in their lives. And But one thing that I do try to do is I, we have a board. Me and my wife, we, we have this board that we have on our fridge, and it's an incentive board. And essentially, like, you have, you kill, you eat. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, you, you, there's certain things that they have to do throughout the week, and there's a whole list, and they get certain amount of points. they get Point per item that they check off Monday through Friday, you know, like make their bed will be one thing Monday through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like the next thing will be like you know don't talk back to the nanny. Next thing will be like do your homework like uh, completely with no effort. Like and 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 next thing be like you know clean up the, t- the table after you finish after we finish having dinner. You guys wipe off the table and put your put your stuff in the sink. And they in order for them to be able to watch a movie uh, or in order for them to, you know, be able to get a a treat or whatever, anything they have to achieve, you know, a certain amount of points. And we started out originally, we started out where they just had to get 30 points, but since they've gotten better, like we've increased it to 70 points. Right. So that's the best I can do to try and kind of you know, maybe recreate, you know, a little bit, simulate a little bit what I went through as a kid to show them, hey, nothing in life is free. Like, you have to work for stuff like and I tell them the, another thing I do with my kids one day is um, I took them because they would always come in my office and they would always say, Dad, why are you always working? You know, and, and I have reasonable hours like I, I'm in my office from 830 to 430 and, you know, I'm with them in the morning and then I'm and I'm with them at, after 430, especially on days like today because my wife works. And, you know, but my kids will come into my office and they say, Dad, like, why are you in your office for eight hours? Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't, there's nothing you could be doing for eight hours. Like, dude, I'm working. Like, Daddy has to work. And that was a concept that they didn't grasp being, you know, five and four at the time. And so uh, one day I took them down to Skid Row and I said, look, you know, I said, you know, guys, everything costs something in life like it costs money for you guys to live in this house and the house that we live in it costs money to get in the car that we got in to drive down here everything costs money and if daddy doesn't work this can be our fate like we could be on the streets we could have nothing and so you know and you know they saw people peeing on the street they saw all kinds of crazy stuff and they were just like wow people actually live like this people live like this why don't they have a home why don't they i was like You know, I can't answer those questions, but I can tell you the reason why we're not in this situation is because your mom and your daddy works. So there's things like that that I try to do.
1: I love that. And I love the fact that because we do have to instill the values we learned, they just don't have to learn in the same way. And I think that's a really important lesson. Like your story doesn't need to be your kid's story. And in, in fact, it shouldn't be. It was, it was yeah. yours. So hopefully some people might break free of that. The other thing, I'm really glad um, you stopped taking off layers when you did, because I thought we were both going to have to take our shirts off. <laughs> it was gonna be like, I was going to be like the machine, Burt <laughs> Kresher, up here if we had to do that. So I <laughs> <laughs> thought
0: we were Yeah, uh, I just had some spicy Thai food, dude. And like this... <laughs> Pepper's like I told Brad, you know, hey, get me a level seven, and he didn't. <laughs> I guess this bot's level seven was like this, like a level fifteen. So I'm still burning <laughs> up from it. <laughs>
1: I, I love it. Um, the other thing that I want to bring up before you mentioned you like we first heard you were living in this mansion, and then you brought up you were living in a small apartment in the Bronx. We're going to talk about how you got there, but yeah. one more thing I want to bring up before that, I, I got a question for you. You know, um, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, is work with Navy Seals. You're the uh, third Navy seal I've worked with because you guys don't take no for an answer for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's always a freaking way. Um, yeah. Just t- tell me a bit about the mindset of like as you've driven through your career in Hollywood and everything else I mean there, there, obviously there is a healthy time to take no for an answer but yeah. like what what drives you and your your anything's possible to a Navy seal so I can't I can't say no to nothing. Uh,
0: yeah. Tell me a bit about,
1: about how that works in your mind.
0: Yeah, you know, it's automatic. I think it, I think even before I got into the SEAL teams, that was the mindset that I had. I think, you know, a lot of people ask the question, are SEALs born or are they made? Um, I think it's different for every single person. I think for some people, like, they're born with all the attributes necessary in order to be a SEAL, the mental toughness, and, and, and then maybe some are born with it. But then, like, through life and their, their circumstances, situation growing up, they're nurtured into into that mindset. Um, and then there's some people that just have to, you know, get in the SEAL training and like get hammered until, and, and then they kind of realize or learn through like every day, not quitting that. All right. This is, you know, I, I'm able to uh, acquire this SEAL mindset to persevere and keep moving forward. For me, like I said, I think I was born with it. my dad and it kind of goes back to my father. He was just a man who was he could see a way where there was no way when everybody saw there's absolutely no way at all to achieve a specific goal you know he was the guy who said no there is a way like no we can't do it no we can change this nation and uh and it's, it's the same thing with my mother like my mother always even when we were little kids after my father died you know she struggled tremendously but we had food every day like You know, we, you know, we had clothes, we, you know, we had a a shelter, you know, we never kicked out and put out on the street, even though she struggled tremendously. And so, you know, I I, I feel like my parents' DNA, that, that persevering DNA, which is, comes from my, my father and also my mother, especially my mother comes from my, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother's size, they were, they were beasts. I mean, my grandfather, he was, when he was diagnosed with cancer, they gave him like a month to live, but he was like tall. He was like six four, and he was really muscular, fit, and he lived like another five years because he just, he just persevering, push pushing through was part of who he was. So I think, I was, I was born with that mindset, and then when I was growing up in the Bronx, like I, I had. Every day to 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 walk that out, right? To 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 walk in perseverance, to thrive, to look at situations and say, "There's at you know," and 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 see, and everybody around me say, "There's absolutely no way," but me figure out that way to get to where I needed to be or where I wanted to be, right? And so by the time I got to seal training you know, it was just automatic, (laughs) you know, it was just there, you know, and that's why, you know, you know, my story, read the book, you know, I went to, you know, went to first phase, got rolled, went through hell, you know, in hell week and, and almost died, gotten rolled, never quit, started day one again, went through it. And I just kept on going because I knew that I could do, it was just a part of who I was. And so I take that with me in everything that I do right now, um, where, you know, it's always, it's a grind, right? I'm I, I, and I love the challenge. I love looking at the situation, or I, I love looking at the ground and saying, "Okay, there's gold under there." give me a shovel let's start digging let's start digging okay let's keep on going keep on going eventually we're we'll gonna get the. Go. it's gonna be hard it's a hot day it's, it's gonna be so but let's keep on going and eventually like I, I know that i'll eventually get to the goal and so that's hollywood you have to have that because hollywood is filled with rejection i mean you get rejected every it's a business built off of rejection <laughs> interestingly and so you know if you if i if i wasn't born with the mindset that i was born with and if i didn't hone that and grow within that mindset through my upbringing and through SEAL training, I would have I would have left Hollywood a long time ago because it's just that hard. I mean, you know the deal. And so um so yeah, I know I gave you a long answer to that question, but I would just say that it was, you know, it's it's innate.
1: I love it. Great question. I got a, another follow up. I wasn't intending mm-hmm. to go there, but so every behavior and trait has a a positive one has a shadow trait to it. So mm-hmm. perseverance and stubbornness come yeah. together. Mm-hmm. How do you know when you're crossing that line and like, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm not persevering, I'm just being stubborn. Uh,
0: my wife tells me. <laughs> 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 she has no problem telling. Me. Fair <laughs> answer. Yeah, yeah. You know my wife. You know my wife. Tells me. And then you know I, I I I try to keep really good people around me. I mean Brad, for example, like he's been. Uh, you know, working with me for like the last, you know, four years. And, you know, and, and early on, like, you know, when he started working for me, you know, there was obviously hesitation to bring correction. But as I made mistakes, I started going to Brad and saying, yo, dude, if you see me going down a path, if you see me being stubborn or making a decision that I shouldn't make, hey, call me out, like check me. And he does. Um, because there were times early on when I would send emails and he would be on the email. like, dude why did you say that to that person like that like you shouldn't have said that i was like i don't care care." and then you know i finally came around and said, hey dude check me on it so he so you know having people like brad having people like my wife um um and then you know having made a lot of mistakes in the past and having you know you know kind of having that that sense that that uh uh that Check mark, so to speak, where it, I, I've been here before. I know what it looks like when I'm 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 being stubborn and 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 and, and I need to stop. I think that experience helps me a lot. I, I rely on experience a lot and the people around me.
1: I love it. I love the vulnerability of that too. So a friend of mine who's a an Army Ranger who's in the Black Hawk Down crisis, he said, you gave me the best example of leadership I've ever heard," and, and you said it in your own words earlier, but he said, Nick, leadership is the example you set for the people you serve, like done. And I love the fact that you're setting the example for people who work for you. Hey, you know what? I trust you enough that just the same way I would correct you, you have permission to correct me. I always try to build that into my culture as well, but it's, it's hard to get some people to do it. So it takes a lot of trust. You went from a mansion in Nigeria to a two bedroom apartment in the Bronx. Tell us what took you there and tell us about some of the some of the shenanigans you got up to in the Bronx
0: oh yeah so um, so my dad as I, as I mentioned earlier he was super wealthy um, one of his most uh, prized projects was a project uh, known as the Lagoon development project and essentially what that was was he dredged a, he dredged the foreshore uh, of, of off, off of Lagos um, and he dredged it and he essentially turned this swamp into an island. And, uh, and and there's so much more to the story. I won't give it away. It's all in my book. But essentially, then once the land had formed in Nigeria, the, the Lagos state government came in and said that the federal government was never supposed to sell him that land, which it, they didn't sell it to him because it was never there. <laughs> and, and again, the Lagos state government conveniently waited until land had formed for them to say, oh, this is ours. And so um, my dad had already invested millions and millions of dollars into this project, not in just in purchasing the land, but Purchasing purchasing the the water, but also um, and and you know dredging the foreshore, hiring engineers, um, signing contracts, so that he could you have build buildings on there, have uh, uh, you know stores on there, and so on and so forth, and uh, and so when the Nigerian Lagos State government came in and took that, because a lot of his assets were wrapped up in the the project, he we went from rich to poor. But in the midst of that, he died. So like, it all happened fast. So within three weeks of that happening, like my father passed away. And, uh, and, and so when he passed away, there was nobody left to fight the case. There was nobody left to fight the government. Uh, my half brother, you know, he was a lawyer just out of law school, young guy. So there was not much he could do. And my mother being American was just like, there's no way I'm raising my kids here in Nigeria. And that's when she brought us uh, to the state and kind of permanently relocated us to Bronx, New York, to the states. And uh, and yeah, it was it was a very interesting transition. I would say because of who my mother was and and the way she raised my brother and I, it was it was somewhat of a seamless transition because she did a really great job of painting our environment as though nothing happened. So that little apartment that we grew up in, she kept a lot of my dad's Nigerian art. She kept it clean. She, you know, she, she, she tried to keep it up so that we had a sense of where we came from and who we were. And, uh, and she was always, she, she pressed upon us the importance of taking care of what you have. Like, you know, if you, if I, if, like I remember my mother would Uh, She would make my brother and I wash the dishes and one day it would be my, my turn to wash the dishes and my brother's turn to dry and then we would flip flop every day. And if the dishes weren't washed perfectly, she would make us do it again. If the dishes weren't dried perfectly, she would take all the dishes out and make us wash and dry them all over again. Because she was trying to teach us, hey, you take care of your gear. You take care of what you have. Like, I don't care if it's 50 cents. I don't care if it's something that's worth a million dollars. You take care of it. And so because she had that mindset, we didn't really, you know, feel the transition is hard. And then on top of that, when my mother delivered the, the news to my brother and I that our father had passed away, she did it in such a calm way with no tears that me and my brother just looked at each other and said, okay. And plus we were five or four at the time, so we didn't understand what death meant. And so we just said, okay, and, and we just went back to playing as we usually did. And so it wasn't until later in life when I was about eight years old that I really began to sense that void and I really began to understand death and understand where I came from a lot more and understand how that had been lost. That's when I I I, I begin to kind of search out for a father, and I found that father in the streets. And that's when I you know, I started out stealing from from my mom, and then stealing from stores, and then stealing from jobs, and then and then you know uh, uh, selling drugs, and then you know running running scams, and you know before I knew it, you know I was nineteen. I had built this massive in, uh, illegal enterprise. Um,
1: yeah, wow. Um, a- as you as you got into all of that, um, you were, you were introduced by a guy who gives you haircuts. haircut who gave you haircuts to rap music yeah. and you make a comment in, in the book, you know, that you love Biggie Smalls. You talked about, he felt like he was talking directly to you and how hip hop became sort of a surrogate father to you. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what that means and, and why it was so liberating and, and deep for you.
0: Yeah, I think it was because I I felt like I was able to identify with the artists. I was able to see myself in them and see my story in their story, right? Because here you had a lot of these rap, well, pretty much most of the rappers who, you know, they came from the inner city, they came from single parent homes, um, you know, they grew up in poverty uh, and, you know, I felt like I could relate to them. I felt like when I was listening to their music, you know, they were they were speaking directly to me and no one else. And so that's, it, it was because of that that I really took hold of hip hop culture, street culture. And I essentially allowed uh, those entities to, to become my fathers and raise me up and tell me what it meant to be a man. Like, and tell me what it meant to, 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 to gain respect and to get women, and to how to make money, and how to, you know, get away with making money illegally. And I followed my those rappers, my fathers to a T, you know, and that's kind of how I ended up down the path that I ended up.
1: Let me ask you that. So how important do you think that's obviously was an influence on your life, like a big influence on your life, and you, you hooked into it and let it you know, let it be that for you. In the same way, you've now realized as an adult, you say, you know, you got Marvel movies, superhero movies, they're violent, but you don't take them that way. Yeah. So, like, how how dangerous do you think, or I, I don't, I don't want to overly label it because uh-huh. I think there's a place for it, but hip-hop music is clearly, most of it is, is you know, not, it's pretty negative. How yeah. How negative of an influence do you think that is on a particularly young black culture? I think it is.
0: I think and how, it is, yeah.
1: And what do we do about that or, or how do we separate that and keep the music and the art alive? Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think it's extremely negative. I mean, I think it's extremely negative. And, and you know, I, and one thing I have a problem with is the excuses that, oh, well, you know, we're, we're you know, this is all we have to say. Um, you know, I, 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 I you know, I, I, being an adult now, you know, I just can't tolerate it much. Um, and, and, you know, especially because of the impact that it has, I mean, you have, you have black men and black women, you know, objectifying women, you know, calling women the B word, you know, talking about having sex with women and multiple women and all of this stuff. And then you have them talking about, Carrying out crimes, and this is the way to carry out crimes, and talking about killing each other. You know, shoot this dude if he say this. You know, obviously I'm paraphrasing the lyrics, but I'll shoot the S, I'll shoot the N, I'll do this, I'll do that, and it's just like, well, if, if you want your community to be respected, how can you expect your community to be respected if you're not respecting your community? And so for me, it's you know, I, I finally find it extremely negative, and I find it you know, it's it's so uh, it's so easy for. For young kids who don't have fathers, you know, I I know because I like I still work in inner cities now. I go to inner city schools, I go to prisons, I go to juvenile, and I see these kids, and you know, they're rapping along to these lyrics, or they're emulating these rappers, or they're saying certain phrases that they, they that they hear, and they're acting out what they hear because that's all they know is that's their leadership. You know, and it's and it's so hard because I go to these places to try to tell these kids you're so much more than you know, especially some of these young girls. You're so much more than just opening your legs and sleeping around. You're so much more than than, than just selling drugs and hustling and fighting. You know, I went to this one high, this one school in um, here in San Diego where this is the kid, this is the kid's last shot. If they get in trouble, they're going to ju- they're they're going to jail because they've gotten in trouble so much in in the public school system. And they carried out crimes and then judges have sent them to this specific school and told them, if you mess up in this school, you are going to jail, you're going to, you're going to you know, juvenile center. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard because it, I'm trying to, I go there and I, I pour out my heart to these kids and I tell them, hey, you're loved, you're special, you're intelligent. There's, you know, there's so much opportunity out there, you can go to college. A lot of these kids, they don't feel like they can go to college because or they could ever get into college because they don't hear that message. You know, when all you hear is sell drugs or sleep around or hustle or punch people in the face if they disrespect you or, you know, there's so many other things we could throw out. If that's all they hear, then that's all they're going to believe they could become you know, and, and I know that because I experienced that. I never thought that I would get out of the Bronx. i never in a million years thought that I would get out of the Bronx. And, uh, and so what I try to tell these kids is you can get out, you can go to college, you can join the military, you, you can start your own business, legal business. You can be a good, uh, a good father to your child. Cause some of these kids are 16, 15, they got kids, (laughs) you know, you can break the cycle, you know? So So that's what I try to do. And it's hard at times. It's hard because, again, a lot of they've been brainwashed through street culture, music, media and a lot of other things. And the frustrating thing is that, you know, media doesn't take responsibility for it. You know, it it, it, it just don't. You know, so I, I don't get it. But. It's life, well, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I love what you're doing, but in the yeah. you are in a role where you can change that, and you are exactly. using your power for that. And I mad respect for going into these schools and these places uh, yeah. to try it, because what I always say. You know obviously i I lived a very different life than you did. We didn't have a lot of money, but I had more love than I could spend. And I feel like the the people who have the worst disadvantage are the ones who didn't have good role models growing yeah, up. and yeah. and at least you had your mom was hard on you, which yeah. I know you appreciate now., yeah. uh, but at least that helped you get out. Now, there, the diff, in a very different shift to that, you go to uh, a Michael Bay movie called Bad Boys. Yeah. And honestly, man, I, I'm always one to admit my ignorance. Yeah. I said, when you said you know starring chris tucker and will smith and it showed you that black men could be more than hustlers yeah. and gangsters that yeah. was shocking to me like i don't yeah. you know when we have a big conversation right now i think a helpful conversation and diversity and media and so many people yeah. are like oh man why you gotta why you gotta shove a token black guy in here or a token yeah. like what a token whatever yeah. it's so interesting to me that um as my eyes are open to it, because I'm a white man, like yeah. I saw myself on TV a lot. Yeah. I could yeah. be anything I yeah. wanted. Exactly. I, I, I find it really fascinating that until I honestly I read it the way you wrote it. I yeah. don't think I really realized how uh, when you didn't have an in-person influence, you yeah. found them through media. So finding yeah. that first influence was was crucial. You tell me about what you discovered that would change your life in that movie, in those Michael Bay movies in The Rock.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you, you kind of touched on it directly is, you know, that was again media is powerful. It's a powerful tool. Um, and again, you know, for kids who don't have both parents or father in their life, you know, it's it's way they it's it's where they go to find those parents. And uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why I love working in media now and telling stories. Uh, is because I want to be able to, for those kids who don't have that role model in their life, I want the characters that I'm creating and the stories that I'm telling to be that positive role model, right, so that kids could see themselves, especially young African-American kids, and say, wow, look at the CIA agent in this movie, or look at this, you know, this war hero in this movie, or look at this, this engineer in this movie, like, I could do that, you know, uh, I want to do that, you know, and so... So yeah, that's what Bad Boys did for me. When I saw Bad Boys with Martin Lawrence by the way. You say Chris Tucker, but Martin Lawrence. Oh, sorry, sorry. And uh and uh, Will Smith, you know, that was like the real that was the first movie where I really saw I connected again just like the rappers I connected with those characters because they were they were cool. They were down to earth. They were they were kind of like me, so to speak. And then for them to be heroes, that's when I was just like, "Wow." Like I could be a hero too. Like I could be cool too. Like I could go help people. I could be something other than just an athlete, which there's nothing wrong with being an athlete, but I could be something other than just an athlete or a drug dealer or a rapper. Like there's other opportunities out there for me. And then, you know, a year later the rock came out and you know, there were Navy seals in that film. And that was the first time I was exposed to Navy seals and it was one black seal in that, in that movie, who was an actual, he was a real SEAL, because Michael Bay uses real SEALs, and that's why I was just like, wow, like, I could do that. That's what I wanna do. If I could ever, if I ever turn my life around, that's what I would do, I would be a SEAL. And so, again, that came from media, educating me, teaching me, exposing me to this world that I had never been exposed to. And then, ultimately, that's what led to my decision to become a Navy SEAL, but it would have never happened if I didn't see myself on screen <laughs> through Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, through the Navy Seals and that black cat, that black seal, like if I didn't see myself, I want to have became become that. And I think that that's one of the, the biggest issues I have with Hollywood because again, Hollywood preaches diversity, preaches inclusion, pre- but you don't see a lot of big budget African American led films. You just don't. Um, you'll see one Black Panther, but you don't see those high-caliber, high-concept, expensive movies starring African-Americans. You you see them starring, you know, white characters all the time. And again, a lot of these kids see themselves in their characters, white kids, and they're like, oh, wow, they see it all the time, like you were saying, and, oh, I could do that, right? But but we need to see more high-concept, expensive, high-budget, kind of like Black Panther-type budgets, $100 million budgets, films, where we're really able to put forth an action hero or action star continuously consistently that that young kids could look at uh, maybe alongside watching a rap video or listen to rap music but also looking and say wow I can do that I could do that uh,
1: I dig that all right so you got into all sorts of mess, which people need to read the book, uh, Transformed, go buy the book, check it out. It's amazing read. I listened on Audible. It was fun to hear you read it. It was great. Uh, I listened to books at two speeds, so you're talking real slow right now, but <laughs> it was it was great. Now, we won't get into everything, but sort of one of your final big hustles was a big cell phone sort of thing you'd figured yeah, out, and yeah. you got really worried you were going to get caught, and that yeah. you quit that, and you decided to join the Navy. Yeah. Uh, they'll see you even had problems because of some— outstanding uh Works things it. on your record yeah. and all that but i'll I'll let them read all that in the book but let's go to the moment you decided that you were going to try to become a seal and then you show up for seal training tell me a bit about that
0: yeah yeah so uh it was a process it wasn't just me showing up like i had to go through a screening process to screen and get in and and that was a that was hard in and of itself just because you know i I had just learned how to swim and you got to pass the screening test and then uh, to get in. So anyway, I did that. I got the first day of SEAL training was extremely rough uh, because, I mean, they throw absolutely everything at you. Uh, It was it was January. So, I mean, it was freezing cold. Uh, It was a cold time of the year. Um, The water was really cold. Uh, On our first day, we had a swim called Wetsuit Appreciation Swim where you're swimming in in, in, in the bay with no wetsuit and uh and and it was a struggle for me because I, you know before when i was training to go to seal training i trained without fins because i thought that oh i just need to pass the screening test which is a 500 yard swim with fins without fins and then once i passed that screening test like everything else is is uh, gonna be cakewalk or i didn't know much about the, the 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 fin swimming and i had never swam with fins before so during that first day when they threw me in the water with those fins on it was a nightmare it was an absolute nightmare uh, all the instructors were just like how do you show up to seal training and you can't swim like what is going on here and uh, they all started putting their money on me not lasting of the day uh, but I last not only that last a day but I stuck around for a long time <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yep
1: let's, we'll dig into a, a couple pieces of that but one of the things that I thought was really unique about the book I've seen I've seen and heard several uh, like SEAL training experiences yeah. recounted. Yeah. But I'm sitting there, I'm listening to it. And I'm puckering when you're talking about like the logs, the water sitting yeah. in and like, I'm like, I, and so my, my, while I'm having my nice suburban run, yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, man, that would be so tough, but at least, you know, it's the government like, they're not going to let, like, no one's going to die. And, like, the yeah, next yeah. paragraph, you're like, and a guy died. I'm like, yeah, oh, died. I'm out. Like, I'm completely yeah. <laughs> out of here. Like, and it first seemed like Disney World, they're going to break you mentally, but they're yeah. going to take care of you physically. But yeah. people
0: actually die in this training, huh? Yeah, yeah people have died in the training. Yeah, they just pointed out a guy died in my class, Rob Vedder, you know. And uh, and and I was right I was right there. I was one of the medics to tried to, you know uh, – uh, Bring him back. He was later transported to the hospital, and he was on life support for a few weeks. But then they eventually pulled the cord. But yeah, it was it's it's no joke. It's it's a tough, tough program. Um, and and if you have any cracks in your armor, or if you hide, it, if you have any medical conditions that you've, you that you hid to get into the program, it's gonna expose that program's <laughs> gonna expose it. And uh, not saying that that's what happened with him, but. Yep. it's, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the safest, <laughs> safest, program.
1: I got it. Uh, you had a, uh, well, let me say this. Um, it seems to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. that if you aren't willing to die, you're not going to make it through SEAL training anyway. That's Absolutely. what they're looking for. Absolutely.
0: Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you gotta be, yeah. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the guys who are willing to die and then get up keep going, die again, and then get up, keep going, die again. That's what they're looking for, so yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, and it makes sense. If I'm going to send you on a special mission, yeah. if you're not willing to die for the cause, which first cause is you want to be a SEAL,
0: yeah. be,
1: show me your commitment. Yeah. And so, again, there's uh, there's amazing stories in transformed about how much you struggled, yeah. almost died. I see you. I want people to read the book. So out of the
0: water. Uh, all it. of it. <laughs>
1: I, I, so I don't, I don't want to give <laughs> it all away, but I, I want to go into um, a couple different things here. Um, you broke your foot, your ankle, and had to do two more jumps. Like there's, there's a ton of here. You're, you are a bad man, Remy. But one of the things <laughs> I want to talk about is like, so you have this incredible story. Mm-hmm. Um, But to me, I've learned so much about storytelling from masters like you, that the way a story is told in many ways is what makes it a great story or a crap story, right? Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who has a best-selling book out, book did phenomenal. And I said, hey man, just tell me, how did you, there's been other people in your position, very much like you, by the way. I I asked him the same question, said, how did you have, how did you, I know this wasn't an accident, how yeah. did you orchestrate the success of this book? He said, well, Nick, first of all, you know what makes a good book? I said, well, I think so, but you're obviously trying to make a point. So you yeah. tell me. Yeah. He said, a really great writer. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. He said, and you know what I'm not? I'm not a really great writer. So <laughs> what I did is I went out and found a really great writer yeah, to yeah. tell my good story. Yeah. And it became an epic story and an epic book, sold a ton. Yeah. Um you are a great writer, but let's I walk through a little bit about when you first decided you were going to tell your own story. The first thing everyone says, I mean, Navy Steel thing's sort of cool. Your friends in Nigeria thing's sort of cool, whatever. But, like, yeah. everybody's got a story to tell, and especially in the industry. Yeah. Like, book agents like, oh, great, another memoir. Yeah. Tell me – a little bit about how you approached that, why you even thought someone would be interested in a major publisher buying your story when you're one of even, I don't know, thousands of Navy SEALs. Yeah. Like, tell me what gave you the confidence and how you went through some of that process.
0: Well, you know, I, interestingly, I didn't want to. I didn't want to write a book. I didn't want to write a book. I didn't pursue writing a book. I ran from it um, um, for many years. I had a lot. Of, even when I was in buds, like. Outside of the book thing, there were guys who would hear my story and they would just be like, dude, your story's crazy. And they would tell somebody, you need to hear Remy's story. You need to hear Remy's story. And then um, after I got out of the military, I started hearing that a lot more, especially as I traveled and would speak at different places and share my story or speak on different topics. And uh, and what happened was I uh, did Transformers. And uh, when I was part of the press junket for the for the Transformers release, and I went on a Today Show, and you can find the clip on a Today Show now uh, with me, Hoda, and Kathy Lee Gifford. And while I'm on the air, I'm thinking I'm going to just talk about the movie that I was in, but they, you know, Kathy, kind of like you, Kathy and Hoda, say, share your story. You need to share your story with our audience. It's a crazy story, so I start sharing my story, and um, uh, at, at the end of it, you know, Kathy Lee says, "Your story is amazing. Like you need to write a book." And your book needs to be made into a movie. That was her exact words. And you can see this right on live on the air if you uh, go on YouTube and, and you can find that clip. And, um, and I was like, uh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, whatever. I kind of smiled at all because I heard it before and I knew I'd never wanted to write a book. And then when we got backstage... Kathy Lee reiterated. She was just like, Listen, Remy, you have an amazing story. Like, why 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 don't you want to tell your story? Why don't and I said, Yeah, hey, you know, it's really, it's, it's really a bad thing for me coming from my community and SEAL teams to write a book. And I just don't want to be cat, put in a bad category with, with guys who've written a book because that's that's not me. You know, I've been able to build a really good reputation in my community. And she said, Yeah, Remy, I hear that, but you know you have a really, really unique story. And she said, I know that you could, you could focus on telling your story in a way that doesn't glorify the SEAL teams or that doesn't like glorify what you did in the SEAL teams. It just focuses on your story and that can help people who have come from your background or maybe even people who didn't come from your background. I know that in your heart, you would write it that way opposed to uh, wow. the wrong way that would hurt your, your ties to the community. And, and, I, and I thought about it, and I said, oh, yeah, sure, maybe. And she said, well, let me, let me introduce you to um, uh, the VP of Harper one of the VPs at Harper Collins. And, and, she, and, and she says, can I do that? I said, sure. She said, I'm going to tell him if he doesn't sign you to a book deal, then I'm going to just take you somewhere else and get you signed to another book deal. And that's how it happened. Like, I, I, I hit her back, and I said, all right, I'm listening to what you said. I meditated on you. You have my permission to connect me to, to your publisher. And, uh, and she did. And I had a book deal within two weeks. So um, that's how it happened. And it wasn't me. Oh, I want a book deal. I want to tell my story. It was like people kept telling me to tell my story. And then Kathy Lee Gifford essentially forced me <laughs> to, to get a book deal and tell my story. So that's how it all came about.
1: I, I love it. So uh, you dropped a little thing in there, which I think is the secret to this. So you were on tra- in Transformers. So if you just yeah. can get in Transformers, you can get yeah. a book deal. No. So yeah. how did you end yeah. up? In Transformers, that's another great story.
0: Yeah, you know, I was uh, in grad school at the time, just finishing up my master's, writing papers, and there's a lot more to the story, I won't give it all away, but uh, long story short, um, uh, a woman who worked with Bay reached out to me and said, hey, Bay's looking for somebody with your background to, to work on the film. Um, can you start tomorrow? And I was just like, yeah, I'm writing papers. I'm, I don't have a day job right now. So sure. Why not? And that's kind of how I, you know, I, I showed up for one day, that one day turned in three weeks, three weeks turned into six months and, and, uh, I, I was made cast and that's how it all happened. But again, just like the book thing, it wasn't something I was, I was chasing. It wasn't something that I wanted. You know, I was actually in grad school cause I, I started a consulting firm and, and I really wanted to focus on, you know, bringing a lot of, principles such as mental toughness critical thinking teamwork you know communication bring a lot of those, those lessons that i learned in the community and then also from school from my education and into business so that's what i was in, in school for you know not not to be a you know an actor or anything or in hollywood in general and uh, and it just happened
1: and you're in another michael bay film or tv show or something now right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. i just finished working on ambulance which is uh uh, action thriller. Michael Bay directed it. Jake Gyllenhaal is the lead, and Yaya Abdul and and Issa Gonzalez. So it's uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an awesome film.
1: That's incredible. Well, so I have more questions about how to tell your story because I think there's, uh, there's a bunch of informative things you could tell us there. But one thing, I, as you talk about in in the movie, or sorry, in the book, and is is coming to Christ in the movie. So I know you yeah. have great faith. One of the things that it seems to me like you have done um, is you've walked through the doors that were opened. So, yeah. you know, if yeah. the door's open, all right, well, I'll check it out. I'll have faith that maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Let me check it yeah. out. Yeah How how do you think you operate differently now that you have that faith than than you operated before? And any yeah. insights on that?
0: Yeah, I would just say, you know, I I, I, I just rely on the Lord to guide my steps 100 percent. And I'm content when the door, I've learned to be content when the door is closed. Uh, because I know, because I've had so many situations that have happened to me in the past where, you know, I've wanted something to happen so bad and it didn't happen. And it turned out to be a blessing case in point, you know, when I got out of the military, like I, I wanted so much to be a a public speaker. I wanted so much to, um, uh, to, uh, for my consulting business to take off. Like that's what I wanted. And I worked really hard for that, but, the door kept on closing and put another door open and, and, you know, instead of being, uh, instead of just holding on to that, I had to trust, Hey, this is God's plan for me, you know? And, 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 and again, the biggest thing that I, that, that I, that I take with me is God has a plan for me. And I know it sounds cliche and people hear that all the time, but God does have a plan. And if something bad happens, you know what? If it wasn't part of God's plan, you know, he'll work through that plan. You know, everything works together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purposes for them. And so that's just how I, I try to live. And that's and that's what keeps my mind intact. Right. Because at the end of the day, the mind is the battlefield. And I think a lot of people, they lose battles, not outwardly, they lose ba- battles inwardly. And so the way I win my battles inwardly, that in, in which affects my outward and affects how I have my relationship with my wife and my kids and my coworkers and all of these people I work with. It's by trusting that God has a plan and 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 moving forward in his plan. And if a door closes and I really want it to, to be open, being content in the fact that he's protecting me from something that he doesn't want me to do.
1: Uh, that's an incredibly insightful. I think also, you know, in... Uh, in all that, so everyone knows, like Remy always goes to the extreme. So he he went from finding faith, and then he was like a chaplain and like overseas, he's leading <laughs> worship and uh, and all sorts of uh, all sorts of writing sermons. So yeah. I, I love that. Now one of the things I asked a very famous person recently he said, hey. Yeah. Would you let me tell your story? You have an incredible story. And yeah. his response was like, I always thought they would do that after I was gone. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, when I, I tell a lot of stories that are in motion, how mm-hmm. did you decide that, you know, my story's not over? I mean, I would imagine you would think the best of your story is yet to come. Yeah. What made you, what made you decide that, okay, I have enough of a body of work to tell it now? Any insight on that?
0: Um, as far as the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, so you sort of, yeah. st- you told what had happened up to that point. And yeah. so what gave you the confidence to, I mean, I know they were offering you a book deal, but still mentally you had to decide, I, I got to be able to do this. Yeah. How do you, did you approach your story when it's not done yet?
0: Um. Well, I knew where I could cap it off. I, I knew where, I knew, uh, well, no, it, I-, I knew, I knew that I wanted the last chapter to have something to do with nigeria i didn't know what that would look like and then until finally i got to the i got towards the la i end up just flying to nigeria <laughs> literally like what i when I, I was like you know i don't know how this book is going to end but i just know that for some reason it needs to end with with nigeria so i flew back i flew to nigeria Now I, I was out there for you know i want i'm going to say like two two weeks or so and uh i went to to the island that my dad developed, I went to the old school that I, the private school that I was, in, or that I went to, and and then obviously you know how I ended the book, but I won't give it away for the audience. But but I expected to end the book on my dad's island, but an event happened that was way more powerful to me, and that's how I knew it needed to end. Like um, I, you know I, that that was going to be my third act finale. Um, so I don't know if that, that, that,
1: no, that is great. It, here's the thing. You had, you know, you, you had a, an insight, you were given a gut feeling and yeah. you know, an inkling, perhaps God delivered you a dream. Yeah, and yeah. I go to things, I go to events and places all the time where people ask yeah. me like, why are you going there? I'm like, I just feel like I'm supposed to go. Like yeah, I got yeah. invited. It yeah. seemed like, and I know that I'm going to meet someone or get some idea or something's going to happen. I'm yeah. going on faith. And I, that's a fun way to live, by the way. I yeah. believe you know, if you plan your life so so much that you don't give God elbow room, none yeah. of the cool stuff happens. 100%. So I, I, I dig that you do that in faith. Now, yeah. you have so many stories in your life. Like if someone is trying to write a book, yeah. um, how do you choose? Like there's so yeah. many stories. Like how do you choose what stories to tell?
0: You got to find that through line. I think the most important thing is that through line. What's the what What events connect, you know, first act, second act A, second act B for third act a third act b and 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 in our lives in every single person's life like you can structure a story um through those connecting points we all have that one thing and and i think the big thing in, that connected me uh that connected my story uh, was actually, I was having a conversation with somebody about this in the beginning, was my, my dedication. my, my de- In the dedication of my book, I dedicate the book to my kids and my nephews and my nieces and my great-grandkids and all future generations. So I knew that my through line was going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be something along the lines of of, of not having a father, but find, trying to find my father through life or, you know... Um, or trying to fill that void, and finally having filled that void, and then becoming a father. I knew it was going to be something along those lines, and and so having that through line is is it kept me from going jumping all over the place. Right, I was still able to tell all of these other stories, but I had that core story um, that connected that overall story, so they didn't read like a, a mess.
1: Uh, I love it. Now, one of the lessons here, again, we're gonna uh, we have many a biblical reference, which I think is a pretty good book, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't serve two masters. So what yeah. you really just said is you determined what do I want the outcome to be? what what yeah. what is the master I'm going to serve with this book? And let yeah. me see what fits to that through line as you called it. You exactly. start getting to acts and stuff. I don't want people's eyes to glaze over it. It's like your professional yeah. storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you got <laughs> this down. The other thing, by the way, is get help. If you're yeah. watching this and you don't know how to tell your story, yeah. like, again, I hate writing. I'm actually not yeah. bad at it, but I hate it. And yeah. so I get people who are really good to help me because I know the difference between a mediocre book and a great book is yeah. a great writer yeah. and a great storyteller. An- another thing
0: I did, too, which was interesting, which helped me a lot in the writing process was two things. Oh, uh, everything, again, like I said, everything works together for the good of those who love God called the to his purpose for them. I Let's see. I enrolled at the Lee Strasberg Film and TV Institute in in July, like first week of July of 2000 and, uh, 2017. I signed my book deal in August of 2017, so like a month later, um, and then I was at the Lee Strasberg Institute until, uh, until uh, the end of December of 2017. Throughout the majority of that, I finished writing my book in March of 2018. Um, but I say all that to say, while I was in the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute, I learned so much about storytelling. Uh, I learned so much about dialogue, uh, because I was having to, you know, I was having to act and I was, I went to improv school, I went to, um, there was an improv class I was taking at the school, there was, and and just so you know, Lee um Al Pacino trained there. Robert De Niro trained there. A lot of Oscar winners. Anjanela John Lee trained there. So a lot of Oscar winners have gone through the Lee Strasberg Institute of some form with this training. And, uh, and so there were so many scene studies. There were so many classes that I took there. Unbeknownst to me was helping me as a writer. <laughs> like it was, because I would read these scripts and I would have to interpret these scripts and try to say, okay, what was the writer wanting these actors or these characters to portray? What were they trying to project project to the audience? And so I was able to kind of reverse engineer it within my writing. So that helped me tremendously. You know, and again, I signed my book deal uh a month after enrolling in 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 the school. So through and throughout the majority of my time in that school, I'm learning writing. I'm learning, I'm going to class, I'm coming back home writing, and I'm taking all of these little nuggets. And then another thing that I did was I would go on YouTube and I would listen to writing classes, like lessons from the screenplay, story arc, story structure, well, you're a student
1: of the game you're yeah. become, you're immersing yourself in it i, exactly. I think that's incredible and one of the things i always tell people they're like people want to send me movie scripts all the time i'm sure you get even more yeah. Yeah. and what i say to them is hey is this your first one yeah. and I'm like what number is this because like hey even if you have an amazing idea let's just be honest yeah. the chances of your first one ever being yeah. on par with commercial level yeah. they don't exist basically yeah. Yeah. so yeah. why don't we just have someone why don't we find someone to help you yeah. and you shouldn't be ashamed to get that help and we all have you Teachers, professors, yeah. all that stuff coming up. So I, I, I love that. Um, yeah. A couple things: make sure you buy Remy's book, "Transformed." It's absolutely incredible. Follow Remy on social. I can't wait to see what the next act is. If anyone wants to know what me and Remy are both working on today, yeah. wasn't about that. You can Google both of our names. Yeah. Uh, Remy, uh, how else can we support you, my friend?
0: Yeah, man, just. Uh, hey, hey. This is it. <laughs> yeah, enjoy. get the book. I hope you enjoy the book. Um, um, you, as you said, you guys can follow me on social media. Um, and so you can track with other projects that I have got going. But yeah, if you want to get the full story, check out the book. You can get it anywhere with Books of sold. Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble's, BAM, anywhere with Books are Soul.
1: Got it. I got one piece of advice for you, and then one thank you. Yeah. Make everyone read your book before they work with you. Number yeah. Three, number two. <laughs> Uh, thank you for everything you do, man. Honor to call you a friend. I appreciate working with you.
0: Same, same, brother. Honor, honor, same thing. Thank you. It's a blessing thanks work you with you.
1: Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for joining us, Remy, and we'll see you guys next time on Now to Next. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, comment, all the fun stuff, and share it. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.